you have your Bibles, you can open them with me to Genesis chapter 2 and Romans chapter 8. Genesis chapter 2, Romans chapter 8. It's coming Wednesday, April the 22nd is Earth Day. Earth Day is not a very popular day among conservative Christians. And so you will rarely hear much about it. There's a reason for that. Preachers are afraid to bring it up. I don't know why, but one of the most controversial topics in American Christianity today is the environment. I've thought a lot about it. I've been trying to figure out why. It could be because... uh, especially among evangelical Christians who are born-again, Bible-believing Christians, there is the perception that it is a liberal issue. And it is true that, uh, there, that you normally hear it among the more liberal people in America. My contention is we who are more conservative have handed it to them. Another reason why uh, it may be controversial is some of the leading voices in the environmental movement are people you may not care much about, and we don't want to be connected with them even by implication, and I understand that. But again, my opinion, and you can take it for what it's worth, I think we've thrown the baby out with the bathwater. Just this week, the Obama administration issued a new policy on uh, greenhouse gases, mainly with regard to gas emissions, and they said that gas emissions are a serious threat to humanity and to our planet. And people on both sides of the aisle have said that this ruling, whether in favor of it or not, is a landmark ruling with regard to the issue of the environment. I will guarantee you, if nothing else, this new policy will spawn some pretty heated discussions within the American church. Since I've been here at this church, I've never preached a whole sermon on the environment. I have touched on it in two messages, and some of the most vocal responses I've ever gotten in sermons I got in response to the Two blips in two different messages where I touched on the environment. I realize it is a hot topic, and I realize it's one in which Christians, Christians, even uh, devoted Christians, committed Christians, disagree strongly. I've learned that if I want to get my closest friends in the ministry in a really heated discussion, all I have to do is bring up global warming. And all of a sudden, the planet is warmed two degrees just because of the discussion that we will have. I fear, though, that because of our dislike of the issue, or because we think God may not be interested in the issue, or because we think it's not a spiritual enough issue, ladies and gentlemen, we have removed ourselves from the table of discussion. And any time... God's people push back 
their chair at the table of discussion, we have made a serious mistake. God's voice needs to have a place at the table where we can engage in the intellectual debate, not only about the issues of the environment, but every issue. There are no sacred issues over here and secular issues over here. Everything is sacred. The environment is an issue that is a hot topic, and it will only get hotter. And here I'm not talking about the warming of the planet. I'm talking about the heating up of the discussion. We, I think, have no choice but to engage the discussion. The question is not whether or not we will deal with it. The question is, what will we do about it? What is the Christian's response? What is our obligation, our responsibility with regard to the planet? There are a number of passages in Scripture that deal with this issue. I've chosen two of them. The first one is in the Old Testament, Genesis chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. goes all the way back to creation. It says, Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he'd been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created. When the Lord God made the earth and the heavens and no shrub of the field had yet appeared on the earth and no plant of the field had yet sprung up for the Lord had not sent rain on the earth and there was no man to work the ground but streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed, and the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river watering the garden flowed from Eden. From there it was separated into four headwaters. The name of the first is Pishon. It winds through the entire land of Havilah where there is gold. The gold of that land is good. Aromatic resin and onyx are also there. The name of the second river is Gion. It winds through the entire land of Cush. The name of the third river is the Tigris. It runs along the east side of Asher. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. And then skip over to the New Testament, Paul's letter to the Romans, wonderful letter in which Paul outlines uh, a, a, in, a, in a general brush stroke his entire belief, theological beliefs, and he touches on in chapter 8 the issue of the creation. Chapter 8, beginning with verse 18. He says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. 
I want you, I want you just to notice that verse. The, the creation is waiting eagerly for who? For the sons of God, the children of God to be revealed. Who are the children of God? That's you. That's us. The creation is waiting for us. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the who? Children of God. The creation is waiting for us. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in pains of childbirth right up to this present time. There have been, throughout uh, the last half a century at least, a number of different responses to the issue of how we should take care of the environment. Years ago, uh, back in the middle of the last century here in Georgia, there was a, a, a state-sponsored governmental group that dealt with, with soil conservation. I remember it because up in North Georgia, there were some uh, men who were farmers, some of them poultry farmers, some of them uh, just regular uh, garden farmers, and they would, they would take special time out of the spring of each year to deal with the subject of soil stewardship and conservation. I remember we had some men in my church, and they would invite me up to Truett McConnell College and preachers from all over North Georgia would be invited there, and they asked me to speak on the subject of soil conservation, a Christian's stewardship of the earth. I'd never spoken on it before, and uh, I knew that the hardest uh, audience any preacher will ever have is another group of preachers. And so I decided to test it on my church first. I didn't get any amens, and uh, it was kind of silent as people went out, but, but I felt good about it. And so I went on up to Truett McConnell, and lo and behold, most of the preachers up there were preachers from the area where I served. And boy, Satan appeared to get a hold of me and say, you know, these guys have heard you all the time. They know you. They don't care anything about hearing you, especially on something as stupid as soil. And I let him defeat me. I really did. I let him defeat me in that speech, lecture, message, whatever, to that group. It bothers me. Our responses to issues such as the environment. I want to share with you several views with regard to the environment that you'll find throughout the world and throughout America. The first view that you'll run into is what I call the pantheistic view. You may have never heard the word pantheism. Pantheism, it means that you worship nature, that nature is God and God is in nature. Obviously, a person who is pantheist does not believe in the God of the Bible. They do not believe in Jesus as Savior and Lord. A person who worships nature is going to be big on the environment but in a skewed way, in my view. Another view is an atheistic view. The atheistic view says that the material universe is all that has ever been. The atheist would stop short of saying that nature is God and God is in nature, but would have the same commonality with the pantheist in that 
an atheist would say we need to do everything we can to preserve our planet for future generations. But still, like the pantheistic view, the atheistic view stops short of legitimate, in my view, because it doesn't recognize the God of the Bible who reveals himself in Christ. Third, there's the apathetic view. You'll find Christians and non-Christians in this view. In fact, this may be the majority view. It's the view that says, nah, it doesn't apply to me. I haven't noticed any repercussions of the environment or global warming or soil stewardship. That doesn't influence me, and so we're very apathetic about it. We're not passionate about it one way or the other. If folks want to talk about it, they can. If they don't, they cannot, whatever. It doesn't bother me because it doesn't affect me or they think it doesn't. Then there's a group that, that believes in the eternal, but they prefer talking and doing stuff about environmental issues over eternal issues. A lot of Christians are in this boat. Uh, they believe in eternal salvation. They believe in, our, in the God of the Bible. They believe that Jesus Christ came, died on the cross for our sins, rose from the dead. But in their lives, they place great emphasis, both in the words and their works, on environmental over eternal issues. For me, that's problematic. Fifth, there is that group that believes in eternal, not environmental. A lot of Christians fall into this view. They believe that God is only concerned about what's eternal. They believe that God is only concerned about what is spiritual. And so they... Uh, dismiss anything environmental because they believe that God is not uh, concerned with nature. He's not concerned with the environment. He's not concerned with what's f uh, physical. He's only concerned with the uh, spiritual relationship that human beings have with God. So eternal, not environmental. There's a sixth view. I call it the imminent end of the world view. This is the view of a lot of Christians as well who say, hey, you know, uh, Jesus is going to come back any day. The world as we know it will be destroyed, and therefore there is no point worrying about environmental issues. Back during President Reagan's administration, he had a secretary of the interior. His name was James, Watt, James Watts, a very intelligent man, very intellectual man. He was a, a Pentecostal Christian. He testified before some congressional hearings during the Reagan administration at one time and they asked him about the environment why he was so down on the environment and he was more than any secretary of the interior up to that point and he said to them Jesus is coming back at any time there is no point in us worrying about environmental issues the world will go away anyway seventh there's the Calvinistic view a lot of Christians today are Calvinistic. What that basically means is they believe that God has predetermined every single thing that will ever happen. Before he ever did anything, before he created anything, he predetermined everything. And that they're really, even though we may have the appearance or the perception of free will, there really is no such thing because in reality, everything has been predetermined, predesigned by God. And whatever he has predetermined will come to pass. If you uh, see a person who is, is a, a strong, strong Calvinist, 
What they will tell you is there's no point in worrying about the environment. There's no point in worrying about uh, a Christian stewardship of the earth because God is in control of that and you cannot do anything about it anyway. The Christian group Answers in Genesis says this on their website. The fate of the planet is ultimately not in the hands of mankind. We are not in control of the earth. Rather, it belongs to the creator himself who has made us his earthly stewards. On the surface, that sounds really good. But the problem is, what they're really saying is, although we can give lip service to environmental issues, back off because that is God's work. You and I have nothing that we can possibly do in it. Of course, if you're going to apply that principle to the environment, let's apply it to witnessing and salvation too. And let's apply it to praying too. There's no point in witnessing if whoever's going to be saved is going to be saved. And if whatever's going to happen to you and your family and your life is already predetermined, there's no point in praying. It's already predesigned. Oh, well. Finally, and there are many other views, but finally there's the view that I call eternal and environmental. This view is my personal view. I'm not saying that it's the right view. I'm not saying it's the best view. But here's the way I interpret the eternal and environmental view. Folks who have this view say, first and foremost, God is concerned about eternal issues. He is, he, he is most concerned about a person's relationship with God. And he sent his son to die on a cross and be raised from the dead in order to secure everything that's needed for that relationship. But once we have entered into a relationship with him, then every other issue on earth or outside of earth becomes an issue that is a Christian issue. One that we as Christians should be concerned about, including the environment. The environment is not on the same plane as eternal issues, but it is, uh, along with several other issues, uh, among the issues we as Christians should be concerned about because... We have a biblical responsibility to care for our planet. So you can look at those views and decide where you camp out. Or maybe you camp out in some place that I didn't even put on there. Maybe Siberia. I don't know. Brings up this question, is God green? One of my favorite preachers, Rob Bell, he is one of several teaching pastors at Mars Hill a Community Church up in Minnesota. He did a series. This guy is very courageous. He did a series entitled, Is God Green? A series. I'm not there yet. Uh, I do believe God is green, but I'm not, when I say I'm not there yet, I'm not brave enough to preach a series on the environment for you because I know what you're going to do. You're going to set up a search committee. He came to the conclusion that God is green. And that because God is green, Christians are green. But I, I think that sometimes even the Bible, and the Bible is where ultimately we have to go to find out how God feels about certain issues. The Bible sometimes is not very clear on whether or not God is green. Sometimes the Bible suggests that God cares little for the earth. Genesis chapter 6, he got angry at humankind and he flooded the earth and destroyed every living thing except for Noah and the animals that were on board that ark. In Joel chapter 2, the Bible says, again, God in his anger over Israel's sin sent a locust swarm and the locust came in and devoured every crop that was growing in the land, destroyed it. 
In Mark chapter 11, Jesus coming into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, stopped by the roadside, saw a fig tree. It was full of leaves, did not have any figs. Luke says it wasn't even the season of the year for figs to be there. And Jesus did a very unusual thing. He walked over to it and seeing that there were no figs on it, he cursed the tree and the next day all the gospel writers who record this say that the tree was totally wilted. Not very environmentally friendly, at least at that point. So there could be an argument made that there are passages in Scripture that seem to suggest that God doesn't care about the environment, about the planet. But what I find as I look through the scripture is that, that the Bible is much more emphatic that God does care for the earth and he gives human beings responsibility for protecting it. In Genesis chapter 1, uh, we are taken through six different days of creation and at the conclusion of every single day, God stops, he evaluates what he created and he says, I saw it and it was good. He, he evaluates it as good at every single juncture. It was good. And the conclusion of day six was very good. Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, talking to Adam, he says, I'm, I'm giving you responsibility to take care, to till and to keep the creation that I've given you. God cares about his creation. Leviticus chapter 25, God told the people of Israel, he says, he says, you are to till your ground six straight years, but in the seventh year, you are not to touch it. The land needs to rest. So there was, an, there was a system set up by God in his law whereby in the se every seventh year, the land was not to be touched so that it could replenish, God could replenish the land through the normal processes that he has set up in nature. God did this. Al Gore did not do this, thank God. No president, Republican or Democrat, did this. God set this up. In Matthew chapter 6, in trying to tell people not to worry, Jesus said this, he says, For your heavenly Father cares for the birds of the air and feeds them and he clothes the lilies of the field and if God so feeds the birds of the air and if God so clothes the lilies of the field and he says by the way he clothes them better he gave them better clothes than he did Solomon if he so clothed them what's he saying if he so cared for those parts of his creation how much more does he care for you and of course Jesus there is not talking about the environment he's talking about how much God cares for us and therefore we shouldn't worry but a side note to what Jesus said there is that he so cares for his creation how much more does he care for you he certainly doesn't say that he doesn't care for creation and then Paul tells us in Romans chapter 8 that the creation is literally groaning by the way you know why it's groaning the Bible is very clear on this the sin of humanity has disrupted the goodness of creation and ever since the fall of humankind in the garden, God's creation has been corrupted. We're the ones who did it. I hear Christians saying, well, whatever's going on in the world today, environmentally, it's not man-made. We didn't do it. The Bible says we did it. The Bible says we did it, ladies and gentlemen. Stop the rhetoric.
So I believe the conclusion is clear. Regardless of what a person believes on global warming, it doesn't matter to me. Regardless of if you believe in global warming, who, what's the cause of it, man-made or cyclic? It doesn't matter to me. What matters to me, lay that aside over here. Let's get, pick up the Word of God. What does the Word of God say? You and I, as God's people, have a biblical responsibility to take care of the planet. Let's just go with that. So what can we do? Let me throw out three things. These are in no way exhaustive. You know that as soon as you see them. No way exhaustive. Here are three things that you and I can do. Number one, we need to know the facts about our environment. We need to know the facts. You and I need to study for ourselves. Don't depend on what I tell you. Don't depend on what NBC, ABC, CNN, Fox News tells you. Find it out for yourself. We have been lulled into spoon-feeding, ladies and gentlemen. I run into college students all the time. They want to be spoon-fed. They don't want to be challenged. And I run into it even more in the church. Spoon-feed us, preacher. Don't challenge us with anything. Listen, go home and check it out. Become a Berean church. The Bible says Paul, Paul would preach, and the Bereans would go home and check the Scripture, see if what he said was true. I tell you, we need to be like that. Know the facts. God has set up the earth in such a way that we have an atmosphere and the sun warms the earth. The, the heat from the sun comes to the earth. Part of that heat is absorbed into the planet earth. And part of it is reflected off the planet and goes back out to the atmosphere. Within our atmosphere, there are certain gases that are let off by, uh, that are exhibited in, uh, uh, by a number of different sources. Carbon dioxide is one of them. These gases go up and many of them settle at the top of our atmosphere. And when enough of those gases settle, what happens is the heat comes from the sun, it, it bounces off the earth, and it comes back up, and it hits that cover of gases, and some of that heat stays in the earth. That's a good thing. Without those gases, we, it would be too cold to support human life or any other kind of life on this planet. God has done a wonderful thing in providing for greenhouse gases. But here's the problem. Too much of a good thing can become very bad. And so what has been happening ever since uh, we started measuring the, the uh, levels of gases in the atmosphere, which, by the way, we started doing that in 1850, what has happened is these gases have increased in their levels exponentially. The amount of carbon dioxide that is in our atmosphere now, compared to 1850, it has increased about 40% since 1850. And as a result, the planet is warmer. Well, how much warmer? Well, 11 of the, of the, of the 12 warmest years on record, 11 of the 12 warmest years on record have occurred in the last 12 years. Something's going on. We say, well, it's cyclic. It may be. Well, it's man-made. It may be. Well, it's both. It may be. I don't care. Fact is, it's happening. And the fact is, we need to know that, and we need to stop denying it. A lot of Christians are in denial. It makes us look really stupid. We 
need to stop being in denial and know the facts. There is more, in fact, there's more carbon dioxide levels in the, in the atmosphere today than has been in the atmosphere in the past 400,000 years. How do we know that? You can go down to Antarctica where the ice is thick, drill down into that, and it's like layers of ice, much like the rings of the pine tree. You go down deep into that ice, and there are pockets of air there. Scientists can get into those pockets of air, measure the amount of carbon dioxide. It's more now than it has ever been in any of those layers. However, whether it's 400,000 years or, as some folks believe, 6,000 years, it's more than it's ever been. It's an issue. What can we do about it? One of the things we can do about it, of course, is recycle. You've heard this, most of us, all of our lives. Recycle. Every year in Georgia, we throw away 1.9 million tons of paper. I know because I threw away a half million tons just last year in my own house. We throw away 1 million tons of plastic, 360,000 tons of metal. Georgia, just in Georgia, 240,000 tons of glass. If we recycled half of those things, half of them, we would save enough energy to fuel the transportation energy of a million Georgians for one whole year. One million Georgians, if we recycled half of it. Here in Palmetto, the city of Palmetto, there's a new bin over at the park. You can recycle cooking grease. They can recycle that. I think we need to be about recycling. If we recycle one glass bottle, you save enough energy to light a 100-watt light bulb for four hours. If you recycle one aluminum can, that, that recycling energy will run a computer for three hours. If you recycle one plastic soft drink bottle, it will save enough energy to run a TV for an hour and a half. That's all you need to run it anyway. And if you recycle five pounds of paper, it conserves enough water to offset the water that you would use in a typical shower. Some ladies excluded. I know, I just lost you right there, didn't I? So recycle. And then a final thing is this. Where possible, we can switch to things like high-energy fluorescent or LED lighting. I know, I don't like fluorescent lighting either. But they tell me that it uses about 75% less energy and it lasts 10 times longer. There are a lot of other things. You don't want to hear them. You can go to those two websites on the slide, georgiarecycles.com, epa.gov. I want to thank Judy Knowles for providing me with that information. She is she's one of our local heroes on the environment here in Palmetto, and I thank God for her. I want you to hear me with this. I'm not saying that the environment should take priority over eternity. Eternal issues ought to be front and center in the life of every single church, every single Christian. But secondarily to that, we need to be concerned about the issues of our time, one of them being the environment. And if we continue to insist that environmental issues don't matter, 
that God doesn't care about them or that in reality they don't exist, they're liberal propaganda. What we actually do, ladies and gentlemen, is take ourselves, take the Christian voice, take the voice of God off the table. And I just don't think that's something that we can afford to do, not locally, not nationally, and not globally. Ladies and gentlemen, we cannot relinquish God's place at the table. Think about it. God is green. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we know that first and foremost, you are concerned about the eternal well-being of every human being. But we also know that next to that, you are so concerned also about the creation that you have made, about the earth and the universe. And Lord, you're even concerned about dirt. You're a God who is, sees everything as God matters. Lord, I pray for an awakening in two different areas, in the people in this church. One, that we would awaken to the need to be concerned about people's eternal well-being. We don't seem to be as concerned as you are about it. And secondly, that you'd help us to be Awaken to the need of our environment. Lord, help us not to compromise on either of those because you haven't and you never will. In Jesus' name, amen.